This episode of the Sticks and Blades podcast is brought to you by Quite Trill Radio, the best hip-hop internet radio show on the planet. If you know me or you train with me in the past, you know that I hate to train in silence, and that's where Quite Trill comes in. Quite Trill is the soundtrack to all of my training sessions. Quite Trill Radio has over 50-plus episodes that are about two hours apiece that are going to bring you some of the best in hip-hop, soul, and R&B, as well as underground hip-hop music. To listen, follow them on Facebook or Instagram at Quite Trill Worldwide. That's Quite, Q-U-I-T-E, Trill, T-R-I-L-L, Worldwide. Quite Trill Radio. Welcome to the Sticks and Blades podcast for episode six. I'm your host, Doug Marsh. And my guest today, uh, this man, he's been uh, very important to me in regards to my uh, development as a Pekiti Tertia Kali uh, practitioner. Uh, so I'm going to give him the proper introduction that he deserves. He's the owner of Kali Gear. He's uh, one of the foremost authorities of Pekiti Tertia Kali in the world. I feel he's one of the best Pekiti Tertia Kali instructors in the world. He's my friend. He's my brother in art. He's my first Kali teacher. Welcome to the show, Tuhan Leslie Buck. How are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much. I sure appreciate the kind, appreciate the kind words, and thank you for having me, Doug. No, I appreciate you coming on, man. So I'm going to hop into uh, my question about leadership. Um, how do you define yeah. leadership, and uh, when did you realize that you had the skills to lead? Okay, the hard stuff right away. Okay. Um, uh, leadership to me is kind of... I guess, tinted by my role as an instructor. So I guess when I speak of leadership, it's maybe more about that. And, um, but I, I really see it as service, service, uh, supporting others. Um, and really, uh, again, as an instructor, I'm trying to help others do things they can't do by themselves. But really, it's about kind of finding a path or making a path that others can follow. Um, and I don't mean follow me, I mean, just you know, you find a way for somebody to do something, you hand it off to them, and you help them go further than you went, right? So, I mean, I learned this from my instructors. My uh, Tuhan Irwin was a big influence on me about what leadership is about. Again, more supporting, enabling others, even making sacrifices for others. Um, and then GT and others, all, so many of my instructors influenced me that way that it's all about helping people um, do more for themselves and making a positive impact that way. So that's leadership to me rather than uh, just a cult of personality or anything other like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when did you realize that you had the skills to become a leader? Um, gosh, you know, I don't know if I ever really realized that. And it's only recently I've thought about actually being a leader. Um, I've always been in kind of leadership roles as a kid and as a younger adult, and, but I never thought of myself as like a traditional leader, you know, like everybody follows me and they listen to my every word kind of an introvert. So, um, you know, what I do is usually more behind the scenes type stuff. Um, but I guess, uh, in the past, I just really wanted to share my passion. And as I developed more experience, I started to realize I'm getting better and better and, um, uh, at, at getting people excited about the art, sharing the art. Um, and so as I put together events and programs and work with other instructors and stuff that I kind of got more of the understanding that maybe leadership is about, again, that service and not about like being at the front of everybody. And so that's, uh, that's, that's kind of recently made me think, Oh, damn, I gotta be, I gotta be better at this. I, <laughs> I've got to, <laughs> I've got to actually work on these leadership skills. So I don't screw things up. Right. Cause I could either get somebody killed or, or, uh, you know, just not have a, a significant impact that helps people. So, um, 
I would say there's there's no watershed moment. It was just more of like, okay, things are my my experience is starting to help me uh, figure out what I need to do. Well, I think one thing that you left out is humility. I mean, because I remember meeting you back in 2002 when I first started training with you. Uh, yeah. It was in Monday Muda. Yeah. And, you know, I had heard about Pikiti Tertia in the past. You know, I've seen videos. I think at that point there was like a grainy video out of uh, of Grand Tuhan and uh, and Bill McGrath doing a spotty dog. It was like a black and white video. Yeah. And I think they were yeah. doing a seminar in Germany. And, you know, I was I was blown away, you know, seeing that. I didn't think that, you know, there's no way anybody in the world could be that fast. But <laughs> yeah, that was a good but, video. Uh, yeah, it was an excellent video. But uh, when I started with you, I mean, I had no idea that, you know, you you were, you know, you never advertised that you were like some advanced instructor or anything like that. And and I think humility is like, to me, is, is one of the, the bigger things in terms of leadership with you, especially with you. You're yeah. you're very humble, low key guy. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't want to pretend to be anything I'm not. And so uh, um, I just try to do whatever it takes to keep my integrity. Absolutely. So, you know, when people in the art, they, they look at you, they, they see like, you know, this this very polished, you know, high level, very skilled, you know, practitioner of the art. And I think a lot of times what people forget is that at one point in time, you were a beginner just like them, you oh, know, yeah. so, so, so what is it that led you to the Southeast Asian martial arts? And how did you start your martial arts journey? Um, well, um, I, I guess I got kind of lucky and fell into it pretty, pretty directly. Um, I was a wrestler in high school back in the eighties. And I really liked the fact that it was somewhat combative. All the pressure was just on you. Um, and you're, you know, you're learning skills that, uh, uh, you're putting directly against somebody else. And so that kind of got me interested in the martial arts world, but I had a friend who, uh, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, and, uh, he, he went to this martial arts school and he'd come back and kept telling me, and this is in high school about how great this was. And um, I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, and so as I started to get closer to graduating from high school, he kept talking about it. And I was like, I, I don't want to wear that funny uniform. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have to put on the belt and say, <laughs> yes, sir. And no, sir. To a bunch of 12 year olds, you know, it just was like, no, I don't, I don't really want to do that. And he just told me, Hey, no, this is different. You got to come try it out. And so I did. Um, I went out, this is 1990. I went out and uh, the instructor is an amazing man. His name is Stephen Fristo uh, from Springfield, Illinois. And uh, he's 90% blind, uh, but he taught Kali, Silat, kickboxing, Jeet Kune Do. He'd gone through the Innocent Academy and also through Hawaii and trained with Villa Brill and I mean, many different instructors um, and just an incredible guy. And so once I got into that, um, I learned right away that the Kali and Silat was what interested me the most, although... I was impressed by pretty much anything this man could teach me. Um, and, and he really taught me how to learn and how to, you know, how, how to, I guess, start to break down the arts and, and, and train. And so that's what got me started. And my nature is to kind of look for the root of things. And so after training with him, I started looking for opportunities to train in Indonesia or find the, you know, higher level instructors that represent the arts from their, their families. And so that's what I ended up doing pretty soon after I started martial arts world. Okay, so you you brought up Indonesia, and I would imagine uh, that you know your time in Indonesia is when you uh, began to train uh, Mande Muda uh, with the Sawanda family. What was that like? Oh, it was uh, pretty amazing. I mean, it you know um, we didn't know a, a training partner uh, 
he and I decided, like, let's figure out how to go to Indonesia. And we heard about this opportunity that Hermes Sawanda was uh, taking students from America and letting them come to, the, to Indonesia and train. And we'd only trained Sealot with my instructor, Stephen. And uh, we, we made some calls and stuff, and we made an arrangement to where we could go out, move in with uh, uh, Herman, and spend a month over there training with him. And uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty funny because, again, we didn't know what to expect. It's out of country and hadn't traveled much. And, and uh, we met him in the airport before we went on to Indonesia. And he walked up to me and said, let's see. Yes. And he slapped me right in the face. <laughs> and, he said, <laughs> and he said, are you ready for Indonesia? And I said, I maybe not. I don't know. You tell me. And I, I, we all just laughed. And he said, he told me later, he said, I knew you'd be fine. And he was like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I didn't get angry. I didn't fight back or anything. I just kind of laughed <laughs> off. So we hit it he off shocked, right away. <laughs> he shocked the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. But we went, you know, we flew into Indonesia. Our first night was, you know, 24 hours of flying, like seven hours on a train and a bus ride and all this kind of stuff. And we get there and there's a meteor shower i mean it's crazy just the first day how how uh how much of an impact it had going to this new culture and get an opportunity to train there and learn from from an amazing man herman swanda too and his family yeah so you you bring up paul herman and i've heard nothing but like great things I, there there's video that's out there of uh of paul herman it, it's limited but yeah. you know you can tell you can tell from that video that he had like such a strong command for his family's art, you know, can you talk about him as a teacher and as a Silat practitioner? Yeah. You know, he grew up with a hard life. I mean, sometimes borderline homeless, begging for food, um, you know, uh, in and out of good times, bad times, uh, with his whole family. Um, and he, you know, he left Indonesia kind of bad circumstances, uh, just to get away from all that was going on there, come to the States and, Thanks to uh, uh, people he met at the time, he started realizing his own culture is something he should support, teach. And um, he, he told us, I mean, I think he learned this along the way as he came to the States, but he said, I, you know, I, just, I just hook people in with the martial arts, but really I just want to make people better people. And so my whole re friendship, relationship with him, even if I never learned anything in the martial arts from him, I would so value our relationship and our friendship because I learned so much about you know, uh, being a good person and, and working with other people and all that kind of stuff from him and his attitude towards life and helping others. So he, uh, you know, he, he, he was the kind of guy where a total stranger could walk up to him. He could ask two or three questions and they start crying and open up and talk to him because he somehow had this way of just disarming you in a, in a positive way and, and helping you feel better about yourself. So pretty cool guy. Um, of course, amazing martial artist and, uh, his skills, I mean, his, his father, kind of the, the way things worked back then, is, his father is a war hero. The other Sealot masters were war heroes. And they didn't really at that point get together and train, but they could send their kids and their students to get together and train. And so he was basically the big uh, repository for a lot of information. His father sent him out to learn and, and uh, you know, he, became, he, he made it his own. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, at what point in time during your training with with uh, Paul Herman and Mondi Muda did you discover Pekiti Tertia? Well, I had started training Kali in 1990 with uh, uh, Stephen Fristo, and he showed us some Pekiti Tertia because he had you know he trained a variety of things and he had some specialties. But uh, 
he showed us some Pekiti Tertian. I really liked it, but it wasn't until 93 when um, I met Tuhan Irwin Ballarda. And it definitely was the next level of Kali training when I started training with him and realized, wow, there's so much more precision and and uh, there's there's a, a nice logical structure and there's a, you know just he's an amazing talented guy and so he really sparked the fire for me to to really specialize in Pekiti Tertia. So what was it about the art that that drew you in? Wow, um, I don't know. I, I guess because in some ways it's much like sea light it's unusual or it wasn't well known yet it was very dynamic uh had you know, edge weapons multiple attackers there's a lot of depth to it so that you're you're not just like bashing each other with a stick you're learning really a, a lot of skills that go into layers of you know um uh attack counter recounter that kind of thing so it it I guess it satisfied my intellectual curiosity and my physical curiosity because it's also physically demanding to learn too. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It, it, I, I remember like the way that I came into Pekiti Tertia with you, I, you've had lots of students, but I, I remember this is my watershed <laughs> moment. Um, I, I was already doing C-Lot with you for about six months, I believe it was. And yeah. I came to, I came to you on a Sunday night. It was like in between the uh, Monday Muda class and the Pekiti class. And I asked you, I said, what's going on with this Pekiti Tertia stuff? And, and you looked at me, man, it was like, it was like you were a kid. <laughs> you, you were like, wow, let me tell you about this. And, and, and so yeah. I remember trying, I remember trying out the class and it was horrible. The, my experience was horrible because I couldn't get the footwork down to save my life. You know, I came in <laughs> thinking, thinking I could do this four triangle, reverse triangle, thinking I could do the strikes and all that stuff. And yeah. And that was the thing that challenged me to uh, want to stay with it. You know, it's like, it's like, okay, well, if this person can do it, then I know I can do it. You know, because yeah. again, I had seen those videos and I was like, well, this has to be part of the process. This has to be, you know, an element of the, the crock pot learning, as I call it, you know, the yeah. slow, <laughs> the slow simmer. <laughs> That's right. It's not the glamorous part, but it's the work that you put in and it doesn't make you feel good about yourself right away. <laughs> it takes yeah. Time. And and it's a graduate level martial art, you know, which is real interesting, man. I always refer to uh, that and C-Lot as, as graduate levels, just because, you know, a lot of times you don't come into Kali or C-Lot right away. It's usually after you've, you've already been in some other martial art and have some degree of proficiency in, in it. And, uh, and it just helps to accelerate, shouldn't say accelerate, but kind of accentuate the skills that you already have, you know, it just supercharges everything. It changes the whole perspective. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've found that a lot with students that they've had, you know, in some cases, 20 plus 30 years in other martial arts, and they're looking for something different. They've always been interested. And they come in and they're already very talented people in their own arts. And so they can learn pretty well, but they still meet some challenges that they like, right? Because like you said, in more of a graduate level, they've done other stuff. And this is a new approach, or in many cases, a new approach and some different skill sets. And um it's pretty cool when you have somebody come in as a student that's humbled themselves after all this other training to learn something new as a beginner. Uh, but it also contributes so much to our community when you have somebody with that level of expertise in other arts contributing to the, you know, the, 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 all that we learn about this art. Yeah. So you, uh, you brought up Tuhan Irwin and, um, yeah. for, for the listeners that don't know who Tuhan, excuse me, Tuhan Irwin is, uh, 
he's he's an incredible martial artist. I mean, he's yeah. a first generation student of uh, of Tuhan uh, Leo Gahe, and uh, I've had opportunities to see him work, and his work is is just phenomenal. So, what was that experience of learning from him like? Yeah, you know, Erwin is just always so much fun. He's very professional. He's an excellent instructor um, and a great mentor for me too. Um, he, you know, he he always did things to really help us just enjoy being together and support the the group. And in fact, it was more about him sharing his culture with us than it was about creating fighters or anything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he he such a such a talented person. It helped pick up your skills by just trying to keep up with him. Um, and then by bringing us together as a group, we, we all learned that, you know, it's more about keeping this community together, supporting one another. And, uh, man, um, that's, that's something that I guess in other areas of our lives, sometimes it's just not there. And so Irwin was a, uh, is speaking of leaders, just a great leader in that way. So I remember you saying years ago, uh, when you first started training with Irwin, that you guys didn't even pick up weapons right away. Like he was just so focused on on uh, body mechanics development. You know, is oh, that man. true or? <laughs> oh man, yeah, he was stingy with the the technique. You know, and uh, it was it was funny because you know you see other martial arts and people are learning so much stuff, but Irwin uh, had I think two reasons for it. One being in law enforcement, he didn't want to share something that was too offensive or aggressive right away until he got to know you. Um, but the other was just, Hey, that's kind of the, kind of the mentality in Pekiti Tertia is you've got to get that, those body mechanics down, those physical skills down, or it's, it's a waste of time trying to practice techniques you can't even perform. So yeah, the first, gosh, I can't remember now, but it seemed like you know, a couple years we did like an hour of footwork and then 30, 45 minutes of striking. And then just a little technique at the end just over and over and over. And, uh, you know, I learned to appreciate that, okay, this is what it takes to get good at something. It doesn't matter if your mind says I'm bored with this, <laughs> you need to keep practicing and dig into it. Um, so yeah, that's what it was like. And then after a few years, he just suddenly started teaching all this stuff and opened up and like, wow, okay, this is different. Um, but his culture, I mean, the culture of his class was always back to basics. We go back to working on those fundamentals every time we get together. Yeah. So just to double back to uh, the leadership question earlier. Yeah. Um, I know I've, I've seen you develop as an instructor over the years, because I, I know when we first when I first started with you, your classes, they were they were good classes. They were great classes. You know, we we do a little bit of footwork and we get into, you know, some stick tapping drills, so gung labo passing. And then we do a little bit of application towards the but end I of the class. Yeah, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> I still don't, but I, I'm trying harder. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I'm trying to form these questions <laughs> okay. in a certain way. <laughs> but Thank you. I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. But um, you've grown as an instructor, man. I mean, it, it. I guess you could say, like, when I met you, you were in middle school or high school as far as uh, your instructor, you know, your yeah. your your level of being an, being an instructor. It was still good. But now you, you've you've like taken it to this level, man, that uh, I just think is is incredible. You know, uh, that's why I say I think you're one of the best in the world at, at teaching this art. You know, what what led you to do that? Well, well, thank you. Thank you for that, Doug. Um, I guess, you know, I discovered that number one thing I learned I love is to learn. But number two thing is to teach because it's really so much about the same process about, you know, 
I mean, for me, I can make myself better and I can train all day, but it's very selfish if I don't turn around and share what I've learned with somebody else. Uh, at least in my mind, it makes me feel a little better if this, hey, I can spend all this time now use this experience uh, to, to help others along the path. But uh, no, I've just been fascinated with how how to improve skills in a realistic way, not just like repeat the same thing over and over or copy the drills that have always been done. Um, when I first started martial arts, I always wondered, well, what if this were treated as if it was an Olympic sport where you threw all the money and all the science at it and all the research and all the people to put through it and the top athletes? How would the training be? And so that kind of got me thinking along the path of, you know, not that I have any of those qualifications of scientists or, you know, professional trainers or anything, but how would I put together a program? How would I train someone to get really good, like Olympic level good at this stuff? And uh, so that, that kind of got me on the path of, of looking for how to teach and how to learn and, and to always improve. And so uh, it fascinates me. It, it really does. And, you know, part of my, I guess, my drive in being an instructor is I've got to have not only you know, integrity as a person, but I can't teach something that's half-ass because it could get somebody killed or it could at the very least just kind of hinder somebody's growth if I'm not doing a good job. So I'm motivated by that um, in part, right? My experience working with police and military, those, those guys don't want some some fun drill, flow drill. They want something that's going to save their lives or, or help their buddies, right? So uh, I kind of got that appreciation that this needs to be, it can be fun, and it, it's awesome, but it needs to be something that's really taken seriously. How do you get better at this? Now, and all honesty, my students have different goals, right? Some it's just for fun, and that's 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 one of the main reasons I do it too. But I also want to make sure that it's fun and students are getting the best they can get. So that's that's really what's kind of brought me about. You know, it's selfish in some ways that I want to learn how to get better myself, and then in the other ways I can turn that around and and use what I've learned to to teach others. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you uh, end up becoming a private of, of Grand Tuhan? Um, well, uh, 1998, uh, my, my buddy, uh, Renee, Roy, and Cherry, one of the, one of the guys with us back with Irwin. Uh, we yeah, I remember went, them. I remember them. Yeah, yeah. We went out to uh, what was uh, Grand Tuhan's mastery camp in 98. And that was almost like a reunion of a lot of the old school guys. Too, Hunt Phillip was there, and a lot of the other guys were there, and kind of a, a resurgence of Grand Tuhan coming back to you know welcome more than just a few private students here and there from the states. And so we went out there. You know, it was what ten days of training, I think, and we had an amazing opportunity. You know, amazing time there. And so that following year, you know, I kept up with. Uh, Grant Tuhan after that event and that following year I started going to train with him privately um, in the Philippines so and then ever since then made made it opportunity to go two three times a year every year to go out and train with them and then of course see him here in the states and sponsor him here so those early days of training with Grand Tuhan uh, in the 90s you know I, I first saw him at your school in 02 you were hosting him for a seminar and uh -huh. and again I was I was blown away because uh, I've heard the stories, you know, the, the man is is crazy when it comes to training, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, what what were those early days of training with him like over in the Philippines? Oh, man, it was I mean, coffee was a luxury instead of a like, a OK, when when's coffee over? When can we train back back then? It was just like the stories I heard from the 70s and 80s. It was, you know, 
10, 12 hours a day. Uh, and, you know, you spend hours doing coordination work so he could teach you. And he had to, A, get you coordinated, B, break you down so you're not so stiff, and maybe C, get over some other habits you have that are getting in the way. So there was a method to the badness and also just seeing if you had the, you know, if he could weed you out. You know, that's, that's a big part of it is like, you know, he's, I guess when it's your family art or it's your time, you know, you can be selfish with what you share. And it's, if you weed people out, it makes it easier for you to work with somebody who's really committed. And so I, I know I was being tested in some ways like that, but all of it was constructive, right? I mean, learning to, you know, if I've got a month to train with him privately, um, I can't just do a few strikes and, and not get enough coordination to work further with him until six months later. I need to, I need to be more coordinated immediately, right away. So instead of doing your 10,000 repetitions over the course of a few years, you know, you do it in a few days or maybe one day and then, <laughs> yeah, one day. you know, and then you can move forward. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, okay. You know, I, I can, I can learn a lot more. I just have to work a lot harder in this period of time. And, and that's how it was. I mean, I had, I mean, he, you know, aside from just the, you know, the blisters and bloody hands and stuff like that and the, all the muscle cramps and all that stuff from training, you know, he beat me and cut me and <laughs> whipped me and <laughs> tortured me in so many ways uh, over the years, you know, because he's, he's got his sadistic tendencies, uh, which kind of complements his teaching style too. But uh, um, yeah, so it, it was hardcore. And, you know, the stories I'd heard from, from the old school and the first generation guys uh, definitely felt like I was getting the same treatment. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would go and we literally spend 10 hours of training a day. This, the, the hard part was, you know, I, first couple of days, you're like, I am bad ass, man. I am working hard all day. <laughs> and then after two or three days, when you're just trying to hold the skin of your palm on <laughs> by gripping the <laughs> stick harder, you're like, oh, this, this kind of, this is hard, <laughs> you know, but uh, he kind of break you down and keep you going. And, and, you know, if you really had some problems, he'd bring in his uh, healers or masseuse and they'd fix you up and go right back to training. So it was, it was man. an amazing experience. Yeah, absolutely. During that time when you were training with him, um, I'd imagine that you had opportunities to train with uh, Tuhan Romel. Could you talk a little bit about Tuhan Romel and you guys' relationship coming up through the ranks? Yeah, absolutely. So I met Tuhan Romel and Tuhan Nonoy also um, in that 98 camp. And then when I went back for uh, training with Grand Tuhan uh, the following years after that, a lot of times those two guys would come out and partner up and assist. So GT would kind of give us something to work on, and then uh, I'd partner up with uh, a lot with Tuhan Ramel, right? And we'd partner up, and we became uh, really good friends that way. And, I mean, such a generous, humble guy um, and a uh, talented guy as well. But back then, he was, uh, you know, very, very low profile, uh, but very much as talented as we know him today. And so um, I, I got to see him a lot. And then if GT, if, you know, over time, if he wasn't available, I'd train with Tuhan Ramel. And, uh, um, that was a, a very different experience, but I, I treasure that as well. I mean, GT would push things and bring things out in a, in a way that really forced you to figure it out and put pressure on you. Uh, Ramel being the technician, he is really good at, at conveying the subtleties and, 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 um, helping you understand the material to, to, to even more depth. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And Tuhan Nonoy, um, you know, back then his, his specialty was more focused on knife and he's incredible with that. And I mean, he's incredible with all that he does, but, uh, um, 
you know, I had the opportunity to work with him a little bit with the Dumog and with the knife and, and, uh, yeah, those are, those are good times. And so lucky to have those guys, uh, as part of the training team there in the Philippines back then. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen, I've seen some of Tuhan Nanoi's stuff. Um, he had those old videos where he was just like turning people into pretzels and, and slicing yeah. them up. It was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Looked very interesting. I, I haven't had a chance to work with him yet, but uh, hopefully one of these days I do get to meet him. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you were talking about like training methodologies. Now, mm. when I, when last time I had seen you in September was for your instructors camp in Austin. And I think during that time at the end, you, you kind of broke down. It was the best explanation that I've heard of, of what the tri V formula is. Now, uh, a lot of folks, the newer instructors and people that are newer to the art, they hear this term tri V, but I don't think they really understand what it is. You know, they might see a drill yeah. and say, oh, that's a tri, tri V drill, but they don't understand what the root of it is. Uh, could you talk to us and let us know, you know, what, what makes the tri V formula different from the 64 attacks or let's say the dosi methodos? Um, okay. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I'll start off by saying that only Grand Tuhan really knows the whole, <laughs> you know, the whole story, but, uh, of course, <laughs> the best of my understanding, including what he's explained to me is the tri V formula was more of a way to streamline people to go from basic coordination skills to more functional skills without having to learn all the subsystems in between. And um, so by doing that, he would give you coordination and certain skill sets, take you through function drills or flow drills with attack counter recounter, and then work on application with you after all that. Um, but he wouldn't break it into the more, uh, the original subsystems of the art. Uh, and he had several reasons for that. Um, one of which was it was just so much information. People had trouble remembering it if he was traveling and coming back and teaching, especially seminar-based students. But, uh, you know, everybody had trouble remembering such, uh, you know, expansive amounts of material um, that he, he realized that he could kind of give you more of an, a, a, a streamlined approach first and then flesh all out. So it's all mm. the same art. And I don't think his training method is really any different from how it always has been. It's just how he presents it. Um, so the Tri-V formula, for the most part, is broken down into three categories. He's changed the names of what he calls it, weapon contact and non-weapon contact. Um, but basically, there's the tertia material, which is most of our core basics, break in, break out, five attacks, that kind of stuff, right? It's, and uh, as he describes it now, it's more like weapon-to-weapon -weapon contact. So if you're doing umbrellas, you're doing four walls, and all the skills, the, the quartering skills, and all the stuff that comes with that. And then he has the contratas, which is the contratas system and all the advanced systems related to that. So he's got that as kind of part two of the Tri-V, Tri-V being three. Um, and then the last one he's, uh, is more based on thrust. So you have your Echiquete, you have your Dacupunyo, your Sumcate Panastas type material. There's overlap, but that's kind of how he's broken it down into those three kind of broad categories. And he uses that as kind of the starting grounds for the Tri-V. Now, when he explains that he's trying to kind of turn things into more um, universal principles using geometry. And, uh, you know, sometimes that works for some of us to understand. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, that's usually how he presents the art. And so I think a lot of folks are kind of, uh, they don't, he doesn't explain it, right? He wants you to try to figure it out. And I think a lot of folks haven't had the opportunity to kind of see a little bit bigger picture about that. And, uh, you know, uh, 
drinking coffee with Grant too on this, all the kind of questions I ask is like training methods and that kind of stuff. So this is how I've kind of gathered some of this information. The the dosimethodos is the whole art, right? And it's break, broken down into all the components. Um, when I trained with Tuhan Irwin, we only had some things numbered, some things weren't, some things were integrated already. Often it was similar to the Tri-V where we get moving with some material and then just inserts different variations and techniques. And then later I find out that those, that's number five, that's number six from this subseries or this, that, and the other. So I think the dosimethodos has the whole menu and has the placeholders for a lot of the material that's not written down or not, you know, that's kind of in those different categories. The, to my understanding, the 64 attacks was Grant Tuhan's response to A, uh, seminar students forgetting the material when he'd travel and he'd come back and they couldn't remember some of the stuff he taught. He said, oh, I'm going to mm -hmm. create a form for them to practice so they can get coordination and then they'll know if they're missing something if it doesn't add up to 64. And so it's, it's the basics of the dosimethodos system, right? It's all our core stuff, a couple of more advanced things, but it's most of the core stuff he put in there so that he could come back and then teach the lessons based on that coordination. Um, so that's, that's my best understanding of, of that material. And I think also back in the 70s, forms were big. So Grant Tuon, being who he is, he's like, I'm going to make the longest form anybody's ever seen. And kick the ass to all those karate <laughs> systems. So he made that long form and named it the 64 attack. So, uh, you know, you could, you could kind of walk through those, those uh, components and, and retain them. Yeah, I that, agree with that you. Answer the question. Uh, yeah, that that's a that's an excellent explanation. You know, um, definitely deeper than what I expected, but it's a good good answer to the okay, question. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I, I I agree with you. I I only had like one opportunity over the past uh, eighteen years of being in Pekiti Tertia to kind of sit down with uh, Grand Tuhan, and uh, it was in two thousand and two, two thousand three. Okay. It was when I had when I had left Austin, just moved down here, and I was training yeah. at that that one Pekiti Tertia school that uh, I'll keep nameless. Okay. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and uh, and Rick Riera and, and one of uh, Ricky's students, uh, Ricky approached me. He said, "Hey, you know, uh, after class, uh, we're going to take Leo out to dinner because yeah. you know the first generation guys they're they they they're on first name basis with uh, with Grand Tuhan. He's like, yeah, we're going to take Leo to dinner, yeah, and so." there was uh, this Filipino restaurant. Like it was, it was about nine o'clock at night and it was closed, but uh, Ricky got us in there and they sat down, they cooked us food and everything. And um, he pretty much, he gave, he gave us a good breakdown of, of what it was that we were learning that night. And it kind of, it kind of gave me a glimpse into his thought process. I was like, Oh, you know, cause I, I, the way I the way I came up in martial arts is like you show me something I'm going to do it I don't need the explanation but he actually uh -huh. took time out to explain I guess the method to his madness at that particular time. That's cool. You yeah, know, it's very cool. Yeah, so you you brought up training for ten hours a day and um, when I first started with you in O two in October of O two you had something called the Texas Kali Mastery Camp. Now uh -huh. um, the first one and yes. I remember. I was a young man at the time. I was 24. I was full of piss and vinegar and I was hungry <laughs> for this stuff. I, I was yeah. hungry for Kali. And uh, I remember I would have conversations in class. I was like, man, you know, if I could train all day doing this stuff, man, I would. Well, you know what? You made my wish come true. And I will never, ever wish to train all day in this stuff <laughs> ever again. <laughs> that first camp. 
<laughs> that first camp, you guys brutalized us, man. I remember yes. um, <laughs> we we came in, we came in, I want to say like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday and uh -huh. we trained till like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, I, I can do this. I can do this. And yeah. uh, we woke up at 5 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> in the cold ass uh, Texas Hill Country. Yeah. And a little bit of a breakfast break. And we basically trained from 5 a.m. to like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> Good <What>? time. <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy. There were there yeah. were moments of fatigue to where I like I just mentally blacked out, like for real. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm standing I'm standing in front of somebody or I'm standing in front of you guys watching you, you and Erwin and, and Renee and Roy and everybody work or, or teach something. And then like a second later, I'm in the middle of the drill and don't remember how the hell I got there. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. But, yeah. uh, what inspired you to to start those camps? Uh, wow. So um, when we first started training with Irwin, all of us would talk about, uh, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could just go camping and spend all day training and having fun together? And so that idea kind of flowed around for a while. We never really did much of that. Uh, you know, we'd go to the park and train, and that was, you know, go eat our breakfast tacos and drink coffee together. But we didn't really do anything like that. Um, but after our experience in 98 and our experience training with Grand Tuhan, um, we were inspired to do a bigger event like that and make it, um, make it something that students could come in and not just be entertained for the weekend, but leave with new, like, legitimate new skills, like, actually can do it now definitely follow up later, but not like, oh, that's cool. I'll train that later. And one day I can do that. We wanted them to come in and learn and walk out going, wow, I'm better. I'm definitely better. And so that's what we started doing is, uh, is putting that together. For me, I was thinking this is an opportunity for our instructors to learn, to teach bigger groups of people, opportunity for us to work on lesson plans together as a group. And so, yeah, we, we, you know, we're, we're again, excited about, um, getting something done like that and having the fun to go out in the countryside and be together and not have to like pull out your wallet or get in the car or do anything, but just train and be with our buddies. And so that's what kind of got us going. And the, the method behind it was more inspired by Grand Tuhan and Tuhan Irwin and, and kind of the way they pushed us. And, um, you know, I, I always think Grand Tuhan is like, he can, he can get you to do more than you thought you could do. And he also gets you to be, do more than you really wanted to do. <laughs> and so that's kind of how we, <laughs> We saw it as we got to wake you guys up, streamline the training so that even if you black out, you're still doing the same mechanics <laughs> you need and your skills are developing. And, you know, it's like, uh, OK, we're going to get there. So so that, that's that's what kind of got us motivated. And the first one was I even though didn't it rain like crazy and um, we had to adapt a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it was it was so much fun. We we said, OK, we got to keep doing this. And, and so, yeah, I think we did it for another 12 years or so before we finally said, Hey, let's take a break for a little while. But uh, yeah, so, so that was, that was a lot of fun and, and we're going to bring it back at some point, maybe a little different, but uh, I, I think we'll probably allow a little more social time, maybe more nap time <laughs> as we're well, getting older. <laughs> yeah. The last, the last one that I went to was in, in 2010 when you bought two Han Melon for the first time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there, there, uh, there was a difference. You gave us breaks. <laughs> <laughs> But but I was like the old old man, the OG, you know, uh, everybody, they were bitching and complaining, man, this is hard. I'm like, look, y'all don't know shit. Let me tell you, you something about 2002. Right. <laughs> but right. there were a lot of there were fun pictures in there. Like uh, there was one uh, that I have with Rudy. It was like me, uh, Rudy Salazar and I think Renee and uh, 
one of us was wearing the 2002 shirt. The next person was wearing the 05 shirt and then nice. somebody was wearing the 2010, you know, so just the evolution, That's you know, but cool. those, 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 those were good times, man. It, brutal, but good. And, um, I can tell you, I did improve that weekend. I was finally able <laughs> okay, to do good. footwork. <laughs> <laughs> Once you I can remember out of, how to drive home, you, you, you were able to do those things. <laughs> I, I know. I think I went. Yeah. Matter of fact, when I was done in 02, drove back to San Antonio and I, the first place I went was to one of my best friend's houses and I had to show him exactly what I learned. And so yeah. I'm over there. We're doing this stuff for a while. And, uh, I just went home and I crashed for like the rest of the day. I was done. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't wake up till like one o'clock the next day. <laughs> I was spent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but, uh, go ahead. No, go, no, no, no. You go ahead, man. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, that, that, you know, ended up being a pretty big event for, I mean, it was our big event every year for the Texas Collie Association, which was just all the senior guys from Tuon Irwin. Right. And then we put that together and then it started to, you know, add other newer instructors. And, and um, uh, that was a great opportunity of us, not only for us in our kind of regional group, Texas to get together, but also, you know, have other instructors and other guys come in from other areas and meet, meet other, you know, just really nice folks from different, even other styles of Kali. So, yeah, yeah, there, there were good times. You, you had brought up the Texas Kali Association. I'm glad you did. Um, those were some of the best times. Um, we, we used to have those meetups I believe it was like once per quarter and, uh -huh. you know, to either be in Austin, San Antonio, or uh, the later ones, they started being in San Marcos right outside of uh, Texas state. Yeah. And, and those, those, those were just so great, man, because uh, it would kind of give you a, a look into everybody else's thought process when it came to the system, because you wouldn't be the only one to teach, you know, yep. you, you, you would teach one and then maybe uh Mandala Rudy would teach one. And then you'd have, you know, uh, Mike Conley, he would teach one. And, you know, it was just, th th those were great times. You know, wh what inspired the Texas Kali Association, uh, the start of it? Um, well, Irwin, Tuan Irwin, uh, started our group as the Arnie's Texas Association back in, you know, when he trained in 70s and 80s with GT and his experience, it was Kitty Tertia Arnie's. Or it was just Bikini Tertia, and Arnis was more recognized term. So he started with that. He also said he thought, well, if we're ever in the phone book, it'll be closer to the <laughs> to the front. <laughs> and we're starting with Arnis, A, you know. But, uh, yeah, he started that. And when Irwin kind of backed off uh, and I took over the kind of the head role in the Texas College or in the, what became the Texas College Association, we just decided let's do a name change and let's use the word Collie so it matches what Grand Tuhan is doing in promoting the art. And so we decided, yep, let's keep our own identity, but let's, uh, you know, let's change the name. And so we just changed it from the Arnie's Texas Association, ATA, to the Texas Collie Association. And uh, that was a way for all of us to stick together, different instructors work in different places, uh, but stick together and keep going. Even though we didn't come together under Irwin, we could kind of come together as mutual instructors and friends and and uh, and work together like that. And um, we, even with Irwin, we had started kind of a, what do you call it, a charter and and uh, code of conduct and all that kind of stuff. And and part of the purpose of the organization was just to spread the art. And so we wanted a fun way for people to get together and build that community and get to learn from each other and not just be kind of one one man show. Um, and so that's that's really where that came from. 
the, the association that, um, and the, those roundups that we used to have. What yeah, was I cool about, that. What was cool about the roundups is I also saw it as, a, as training grounds for people to develop their material and their skills for teaching later at the camp. So if we have newer instructors or instructors working on little blocks of hour and a half, two hours, you know, instruction, then they're organizing, we're learning to work together, we're learning each other's thought processes, like you said, different ways of teaching, which is very different sometimes. And, uh, you know, that's, again, kind of practice teaching a larger group. And then when it came time to get ready and teach the camp, we could work together more easily. We kind of, you know, had a little, little bit more of the same routine down of how we're going to organize. Okay. And I, one thing that I remember from uh, a lot of those roundups, you know, uh, usually they would, they would happen when you were fresh off of a trip from the Philippines <laughs> and, <laughs> and yes. you know, you're, and, and I, I was, I was very fortunate because, you know, those Sunday evening classes I would come to, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd come back reinvigorated and then that following weekend, it would be a roundup. So it's like, I'm getting a double dose of what's going on, you know, as far yeah. as your thought process. But at those uh, roundups, again, you would bring all these neat little things back from the Philippines. I remember one time you brought back this blade that was uh, taken from like somebody in the Abu Sayyaf or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, wow, this this blade got some bad juju on it or something. But yeah, is, don't uh... <laughs> speak too loud about that. I don't want to be targeted right now. But yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let me go ahead. I'll, I'll make a note to edit that out. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. I don't think anybody's going to oh. hunt me down. If they okay, do, I'll, okay. I'll be ready for him anyway. But, but okay, yeah, yeah. I, I don't usually advertise that too much. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let me get back on my thought process. But uh, yeah. is, is that what uh, inspired uh, Collie Gear to start? Oh, yeah. Um, so Collie Gear, originally when I first started making trips to both Indonesia and the Philippines, um, I was looking for a way to learn and bring back that education. Uh, at the same time. And so I first started a company called Infinite Imports, and that later became Collie Gear. And what that was is just me buying antique blades from Indonesia and the Philippines. And so I I go find collectors, find sometimes antique shops and stuff, and I find these blades, learn about them. You know, obviously wanted to kind of uh, support my own habit and then keep some for myself, but bring others back and sell them. And then I realized that, you know, a lot of things back when I was training, even if just the you know '90s, it was hard to get some basic collie training stuff like Kamagong and things like that. It was you'd have to order out of the back of some magazine, and it'd be a few months before you got it. And I realized that you know I could just bring back stuff for my training partners, and maybe bring back a little bit to sell for my trips. And so I changed from trying to buy these expensive antique blades, which were you know it was kind of hard to find and and just expensive. Uh, to bring it back more and more just training supplies and, and things like that, that my training partners would buy. And eventually I said, okay, well, let me try to sell this online and make this available to more people. So people can get the stuff that at least at the time was a little harder to find. And so that's what kind of grew from just collecting and selling antique blades to something that was more focused on, you know, training equipment for Kali and for Sealot too at the time. Okay. And for those of you guys who haven't gone online, you need to look up Colleygear.com. You know, if you're looking for sticks, he's a he's a great supplier and it's it's a good 
quick turnaround to get your gears. Like he was saying, you don't have to wait weeks or anything like that. It usually be shipped out in a few days. And and generally, I think the personal touch with the the thank you or or whatever uh, that you write on there, a handwritten thank you, it's yeah. it makes it real nice. But um, our thank time you. is kind of wind. No, of course, man. No, thank yeah. you. You've been hooking, hooking me up over the years. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before I let you go, man, I have my 10 questions that I ask. And, and these are right. these are quick. These are quick hitters, you know, so okay. it's, it's not, you're not not thinking too hard about it. Okay. All right. So first question is, what is your favorite weapons category? Uh, probably a spotty daga. Okay. Uh, I don't often have favorites, but I I like that one a whole lot. Kind of a kind of, okay. Kind of everything combined. Yeah, Spotty Daga. Okay. What's your least favorite weapons category? Ooh, um, maybe something like a little palm stick or some little you know short stick or something like that. You know, those oh, little coupons. Yeah, something like yeah. that. It's not quite as exciting as the other stuff. Okay. What What is it that turns you off about the Filipino martial arts? Um, I keep keep hurting myself, right? I get tendonitis every time. <laughs> every time I get back hardcore into training, I get tendonitis again. <laughs> That's right. I hate that. <laughs> what, what do you love about the Filipino martial arts? Oh, uh, wow. Um, there's just so much to learn, right? There's so many layers. There's so much depth. Um, there's always something new to, to learn um, in a broader sense. And I guess it could be about any martial arts, but uh, I just developed so many friends, had so many adventures and cool opportunities thanks to it okay and this question it, it can be anything but what is it that you hate what does i hate i'll tell you what gets me really frustrated is trying to work uh, i guess i'm a luddite but working with a, like a computer or some software that's got a bug in it and i spend an hmm. hour trying to figure out what's wrong with it until i i just get so frustrated and upset that uh I ended up having to, I don't know, buy some other software or get some help that goes around in circles. And that, I don't know what it is. I'm patient with a lot of things, but I'm not patient with uh, glitches in software. So um, occasionally I kind of scare the family. <laughs> some curse words that come out, of the, <laughs> come out of my office. I understand that. What yeah. do you love to do besides train? Man, um, well, lately I've been doing a lot of man tracking. It's been pretty cool. I like to do a lot of... Uh, wilderness stuff, camping, backpacking, um, rock climbing, photography, been learning classical guitar, uh, pretty much anything I can learn that's either outdoor or something slightly physical or kind of even artistically inclined, I, I'm into it. Oh, dang. You started playing the guitar? Yeah, I'm not good at it yet, but I've been practicing some, <laughs> <laughs> some basics. <laughs> okay, so you're getting the chords down. All right, that's yeah. cool. So... What is your favorite curse word? Oh, uh, well, I don't know if it's my favorite. Maybe the one I use the most often is fuck, right? <laughs> Usually <laughs> yeah, that definitely. involves uh, being frustrated with software or computers, but, uh, you know, um, yeah, it's, it, I guess it's pretty versatile, right? Fuck you, yeah, fuck that, fuck yeah, this, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you can just yes, yell fuck. Yeah, yeah, fuck that computer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Give me a stick. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 it. So, what martial arts besides? Excuse me. What martial art besides Kali would you like to try? Uh, well, I'll tell you one I've actually already tried and would like to do more of is uh, Tenth Planet Jiu Jitsu. 
Mm. Yeah. yeah. I remember you is, telling me about that. Yes. I don't know if that counts, um, but I've, I've done oh, just a six, eight months of that, but it's very technical. The training methods are similar to a Kali and Sealot where there's a flow of attack, counter, recounter, and goes in a loop. Um, and as a bonus, the, the leader of the whole thing is a nut job. So it's kind of the same crazy bullshit I'm used to already. So it's entertaining, hey, shout out you know? To, shout out to Eddie Bravo and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, man. Yeah, I know man. about Eddie Bravo. <laughs> anyway, it's real cool stuff. So I'd like to do a little more of that if my body could keep up with it. Hey, what martial art would you not want to try? Turkish oil wrestling. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not going to try that. There's, no, you know, I don't. I'm sure many, many arts have many things to offer, but there's some things that just I, I can't do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a first. <laughs> that's okay. a first. The last question. <laughs> when it's all said and done, man, uh, what do you want your martial legacy to be? Hmm. Uh, I like to develop my students and people I'm around so that they go on and either share the skills I help them cultivate or at least in some way help others beyond them, right? And have a positive impact on their lives. So, um, and it, you know, obviously my, my chosen path is focused on martial arts, but it could be anything. So I just hope to inspire people that they can, they can help others too. And, and, uh, you know, really support the growth of, of their friends and family, other loved ones. And, uh, that's that's really the most I could ask. That's excellent. Well, as we record this, this is uh, the first, not the first of May, but the fourth of May uh, that this episode is being recorded and we're going through all this COVID-19 bullshit. But oh, man. once it's once it's over and, and we get all this stuff under control, how can people get in contact with you uh, to set up seminars or private training or workshops? Yeah, you know, the easiest way to find me is uh, maybe through my website, tacticalarts.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I'm bad about answering uh, uh, messenger messages and stuff like that. So Leslie at tacticalarts.com or just if any email that goes through the website will come to me. So uh, that's an easy way to find me. And yeah, I'm happy to help out anybody, even if it's just questions. Excellent, man. Well, Les, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and, and just giving your time and, and energy to us. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Doug. I sure appreciate you having me on the show. All right, man. Take care. All right. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to our show. Subscribe, rate, share, leave a review and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at South Texas Kali. Until next time, stay safe and train hard. Peace.